Hello and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. I am Jonathan Gellner and thank you so much for joining us for our final Slugfest guest of the week. Today we have the pleasure of getting to speak with Ryan Parker. And I've gotten the pleasure of getting to see Ryan work in the cage. And let me tell you, his players can't get enough. It truly is impressive how quickly he gets them to buy in to owning their career and trying new things. This is actually round two with Ryan on the show and we get into some hitting prep work, the self-determination theory, and how to help our players make better swing decisions. I love this episode, and here is Ryan Parker. Ryan Parker, thank you so much for joining us on Ahead of the Curve. Oh, no problem, man. Thank you for having me. Of course. Now, we are at round two, so hopefully we can find some hitting stuff to talk about today, but with you, I think that we'll, we'll be perfectly fine. You like to talk hitting a little bit, right? Like every once in a while when I'm not, you know, talking about my dog or Africa or puns. Yeah, or the Oregon Ducks. I was going to throw that in there. I mean, that's going to come up. Like <laughs> Justin Herbert's one of the Heisman. Yep, yep. Well, this this will preview in a couple of days, so we'll have to revisit that in a couple of months. But talk to us about, you know, Slugfest. Tyler Jeske has put together an awesome guest list of just hitting coaches from around the country and and you're going to be there and, and giving an awesome presentation. So talk to us about what your presentation will be on. Sure. So my presentation is probably going to be a little bit different than a lot of the presenters because you've got guys bringing uh, high-end technology in there, some of the analytics stuff from the MLB teams. A lot of what I want to be talking about is stuff kind of more in my wheelhouse and the learning side of things mm-hmm. with a big emphasis on the idea of self-determination theory, which is a psychological concept came up with in the 50s or 60s, basically saying if you want some people or if you want a person to learn a skill, be motivated to do something, you need to fulfill them in three areas, in competence, autonomy, and relatedness. And what I see in a lot of coaching now, and just talking with players, doesn't meet meet those marks. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the cool research on that naturally comes from video games. So my presentation about hitting will include some psychological stuff from the 50s and 60s, some video game examples, and we might even talk about baseball once. Well, that's awesome. So, and I'm guessing there will be a Mega Man reference in there somewhere? So there will be a Mega Man reference. Uh, this one actually will probably not have as much Mega Man as my other presentations will, but I still think I will sneak in my favorite presentation slide of just the word mechanics over and over and over with people <laughs> fixing cars. <laughs> oh, I love that. Our listeners may be curious to what you're talking about, so it, give us a, a real practical example of what you're trying to help others to learn, but how would you teach what you're trying to uh, help us to learn? So the, big, the easiest example, I'll again defer to video games, is if you think of some of the more old school games, like literally the arcade games, the one you'd go into an arcade and you'll put 50 cents in and play, whatever. Uh, let's think of the game Asteroids. Okay. When you're playing that, what's the if you do really well at that, what's the reward you get? You get like a bonus life mm-hmm. or extra time. The ability to do the thing more. So if you have a... T- and the only way you get that reward is by learning to play the game, learning to get better at it. And a lot of hitting, when you start overly drilling guys with stuff, it's not fun. Imagine if you're working with a kid and let's pick a random drill here. He's doing some, let's just say like top hand work or something. And, you know, they take five good things and say, all right, Timmy, your reward for doing this drill well, you get to do the drill more. Mm-hmm. Like, 
wait, wait, what? That that wouldn't be rewarding. So it's designing challenges that kind of that feed into their desire to do something and continually get better at it. Okay, so what would an example be like in your cage? And it, it's almost I don't I don't want to say carrot in the stick because you're not using a stick, but you're trying to get them to master a drill so they could move on to the next level of the drill. Is that is that close? Yeah, and then so I mean, even if it's something as simple as all right, you get to keep as long as you're finding barrels, your round gets to continue. Got it. So let's say they start off a tee, and then without even saying anything, you just hop behind an L screen and start tossing to them. They keep mm-hmm. hitting, cool. You start mixing and breaking, but you literally don't have to tell them anything. The challenge is, you know, and video games are the same. Stick with asteroids, shoot the asteroids. In a cage, it's, you know, hit the ball hard. So if you can keep them engaged and, you know, keep creating uh, relevant and interesting challenges, I think that's where it's at. Because we have, there's so much, there is a ton of great mechanical info out there. But at what point do we hit diminishing returns sure. on that? You know, we need to not only, I think as a hitting community, we're doing a far better job lately of finding out exactly, you know, what we need to be working with hitters on in terms of just the movements and all that stuff. But as far as how to instill these ideas in hitters or how, you know, even have the hitters feel like they came up with it. Mm-hmm. I think that can be improved on immensely. Oh, that's fantastic. And you're essentially wanting them to leave the cage, wanting to come back to the cage. Yes. And the want isn't just because I'm, so I'm not saying we're going to come in there and just mess around and Timmy, you know, is going to have a lot of fun. And that's mm-hmm. why he comes back because it's not, a, we're not here to offer them a playground. We want them to feel like they want to come back because they got better. They were challenged. Like they came up with relevant solutions to these problems. Mm-hmm. That's what we're trying to create. I, mean, I kind of always default back to a sport that does this just really well in its very nature is basketball. Like how many times do you hear kids who just will go out and play pickup basketball all day long? Mm-hmm. You don't really see that so much in baseball. I know it's a space constraint, you know, because you can't hit on, you know, it's hard to find a field to be open all day with lights and all that stuff. But just that mentality, you don't hear. Your kids say, I'm going to go play pickup basketball all day. You never hear them say, I'm going to go hit or field or all day. It's, I'm going to go sure. to my 30 minute lesson or my, you know, practice, whatever. No, that absolutely makes sense. And, and I love that aspect of it. And I, you know, kids love to be challenged. Kids love to, I mean, and, and I think it's our, in our innate nature to want to be really good at something, but it's, it's that addiction, that dopamine hit that you get whenever you are challenged and you move on to the next level, just like you're talking about in video games, or you are, or you finally succeed in something that you've been trying to do for several days at a time. I, I really like that a lot. Yeah. I mean, we look, we can sit here and bitch about the kids are playing Fortnite all day long and that's probably just going to get them to play Fortnite more out of spite. <laughs> or we can say, Hey, what is this doing? Mm-hmm. This thing that we think is dumb that grabs their attention for hours on end. And we try and learn from that. Well, that's fantastic. Well, something that I've really tried to get into lately, and that's, you know, that's assessing and trying to, you know, figure out what the root cause of the problem that I'm trying to fix is. So, you know, in short, do you use assessments? How do you use them? And then, you know, what's your best advice for an amateur like myself that's trying to get in and and to use them better? So for assessments, again, I do not have any strength and conditioning certification. I've watched a lot of TPI stuff, but 
again, I think I mentioned this last time this year, I've been lucky enough to work with some really skilled trainers. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes in the same building, sometimes guys who are just nice enough to work by video. Um, okay, going through a kind of a, you know, just a basic assessment progression, they can hit me back with stuff. Sure. So I'm probably not the best to ask for this because I'm going to say go out and, you know, find you a Garrett Boyum trainer and work with go out and find you a, a Thomas Showers. Find someone who can communicate that these ideas best with you. Uh, and I know that, again, a lot of listeners are like, oh, crap. But again, I would start, and PPI puts out a lot of really good stuff. And a lot of these trainers, I mean, hell, if you just ask them, they're in this because they love the game. You don't believe how far you get just by, you know, nicely asking people for a little bit of their time and not lighting them up on Twitter. That doesn't work. I'm I'm right there with you. And I think TPI puts their assessment out for free. Do you know, is that correct? Yes, they they put... Again, yeah, they put, as far as I know, they put the basic protocol for what they uh, will assess guys. But again, it's up to the trainer, the person administering the assessment to, you know, properly diagnose things, to see what catches their eye. Mm-hmm. And I have always deferred to people who are, you know, have made, whose bread and butter is in the strength and conditioning world. And I've tried to observe and be a part of that as much as I can, but at this point, sure. that is, a knowledge base that I don't have, but I will, you know, continue to get better at it and continue to lean on those I trust. No doubt, that's that's why they're the experts in the field, and and definitely. So, I think that our listeners, you know, if if you're really wanting to do a good one, I think that uh, reaching out is a fantastic idea because I'm sure there's somebody in the local area that would love to do that and and maybe do that for free or at a low cost. Because again, like Ryan said, we're just trying to all help the game, and and I think that that's going to be an integral part of you know, our, our baseball training going forward, but something else that I wanted you to talk on and something that I think that you've brought up in the past is decision training. And I think it was you that recommended the book perception, cognition, and decision training. That was you that, that recommended that, correct? Yeah. That's okay. the, uh, the book by, uh, Joan Vickers. Yeah. The, the quiet so, eye book. That's fantastic. Yep. So basically the idea of decision training is if we view athletics as just you know, a series of good decisions. Mm-hmm. How can we train that? So again, it gets into a lot of the visual stuff. You know, can do you want to understand the strike zone? Are you picking out good pitches to hit? Stuff like that. So, and this is something that I like. I like having in the arsenal as a coach. One for older athletes is you know really good to work on. You know, kind of as they get close to the season. Or maybe some in-season stuff, just so you're not doming them up with mechanical stuff. Sure. But it's also a a nice ability to have if you have a kid coming off a, uh, let's say they got crushed at a workout and they are still in the cage, and you're like, all right, okay, you know, I'm not going to have them, you know, take 50 bad reps here. Let's find you know a way to challenge them that isn't just going to tax their, uh, you know, their muscular system anymore. Mm-hmm. So a lot of it is just. It's vision stuff. That book does a really good job of laying out some easy things you can do. Simple stuff is calling out, you know, yes or no. If it's a pitch you can hit, it's a pitch you can't hit, and getting into that. And I think the biggest kind of takeaway from the decision stuff is everyone wants to be right when they make a decision, but more often than not, especially what I've noticed with amateur guys is a lot of times at first it's not that they make the wrong decision; it's that they, you know, they wait and try to 
make a really late decision. They get caught in between a lot. Sure. So just showing them, look, all the task was just say, call out yes or no. If it's a pitch you can hit, you got, you know, kind of flustered just by that because you're trying to observe seven different things at once and then make your decision. Mm-hmm. Like, make a decision early, stick with it, and then adapt from there. So when you're talking about this, the the immediate thing that I think of is mixed BP and making them make a decision. So you're saying just hit fastballs, and if you can lay off a curveball, do it, or you better hit it like a thousand miles an hour, and yep. force forcing them to not just do it mindlessly. And besides mixed BP, or, or is there any other things that come to mind whenever you think of decision training? I mean, you can take that BP idea, you know, and just play with it a bunch of ways. Let's say. You can pick a spot on the field. Let's say, all right, this round, you're only going to swing at stuff you can drive right center, right? Mm-hmm. So then you can, you know, mix in pitches if you want there. Uh, this one, you know, or hit pitches we can pull on, hit pitches we can knock guys in with. We just just keep them to where there's that, where there's not that mindless rep, where it's not just, uh, okay, going through the swing, here comes, you know, the easy BP fastball down the middle. Uh, it's putting, you know, a little bit of stress on them and mm-hmm. seeing how they can react to that. So this is something at first, I know when I've uh, worked on this with guys in cages, I know when Dots and I have been with theirs work on this the first couple of times can get, you know, it can get frustrating. Sure. But that, that's fine. Like, we want, we don't want guys to be frustrated, but we don't mind it the first couple of times because they need to learn, you know, you're not always going to roll up to the park and feel like you're about to get five knocks that day. Right learning to deal with some frustration is a good thing. You know, another thing that I know you love and that's weighted bat. So talk to us a little bit about variability training. So the weighted bat thing is interesting to me. I've gone, there's basically two ways in my mind you can use it. You can put out a program. I believe Dustin Lin's put out one. Of course. Um, you know, if it's a thing, Dustin's <laughs> done it. You know, you can it's a, use it if you're a guy who just, you know, who lacks some exit below. It's a, you know, way to boost that. I like it. Um, again, it has a variability thing. I've actually probably backed a, away from, it probably seems like I've backed away from the way to bat stuff. Just because I've been lucky, you know, lately we work with some older, you know, athletes who don't lack for strength. Sure. But as far as a variability thing, yeah, it's again, just learning how to make those adjustments, realizing you're never going to take the same swing twice. So even if it's something, even if it's just altering you know, an ounce here or there, taking an inch or two off the bat, learning to be able to manipulate the bat still. And it's a good way, uh, kind of another benefit to it is most of the time when we get athletes in cages, we're getting them pretty fresh. But as the season goes on, they're not always going to feel that way. So adding an ounce or two to the bat, can, that's like, all right, how am I going to feel when I'm at the tail end of a doubleheader and it's 100 degrees outside? Mm-hmm. So getting them used to dealing with some fatigue, and it just it helps them create create better solutions to more problems, which is all we're trying to do. There's a I'm totally stealing this phrase from Donald Ecker. There's an article about him, Donnie's a man, by the way, where mm-hmm. he t- his big thing was solve the problem. And weight bats, underweight bats, they force us to solve problems, mm-hmm. and we don't have to sit there and mechanically drill kids right. on stuff. The bat is the teaching device. Speaking of Donnie, I know that you've You've spoken highly of him several different times that we've spoken and, and a lot of the different talks that you've given. And his, and I don't want to say his big thing, but one of the things that you've spoken on that he does really well, and that's prep work uh, before they get into the cage. So 
talk to us about that and and you know I, I know you got to work with him side by side talk with a, talk to our listeners about what you guys did and you know if you've made some adjustments since then uh, give us a little bit of feedback on that uh, so Donnie Ecker is the man you know it's unfortunate he never works out and has those really tiny arms but, you know <laughs> what are you going to do you no know, so Donnie when we worked together first introduced the idea of some uh, kind of heavy movement work that wasn't so much with the traditional band and PVC pipes it was some a little more weird looking stuff in you know, lang- a language alert. But when I first saw it, I literally called it Donnie's voodoo horseshit because <laughs> I did not see the point to why the heck are we having kids do this? Mm-hmm. But then all of a sudden, you know, a couple weeks in these kids who were terrible, I don't want to say terrible because, well, okay. Yeah, they were bad, but <laughs> and they weren't terrible. Like they were getting to pitches they weren't before they were understanding why they miss hit balls like okay we're, we're going to investigate this a bit so talk to donnie learn more a lot of it comes from tpi mm-hmm. again just how to get our athletes going before we get into the cage and sometimes it's not even you know with a bat it's just getting them to understand kind of the component moves of the swing so you know when i work with guys kind of the categories we'll look at it in prep work uh, force production so stuff like med ball tosses, overhead med ball tosses, basically anything where you're throwing an object. Force acceptance, which I think is the the big one. We have a lot of kids who can throw a med ball really far, but if you have them try to slam it against a wall and hold it there, they get bounced back because their body can't respond to force. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have specific flaw work. So if you have, this is the one where guys just get wrecked by it. If you have flaw A in your swing, we're going to set you up in a position that makes it really, really easy for flaw A to happen in an exaggerated way. So, uh, with that flaw work, you have reactivity, learning to move in response to something instead of the ball's always not going to be teed up nicely for right. us. So just learning to move, learning to react, uh, and then just general athleticism. Maybe really just to be an athlete, not just someone who's taken a lot of private lessons. So with our guys, usually once they get down, once they get kind of their feel for it, it'll take maybe 20, 25 minutes to do their prep stuff, and then they can roll in the cage. And I like it because once if you again are lucky enough to be with a trainer who can help you uh, periodize some of the stuff, you can take the stuff that they struggle with or maybe you're trying to hammer in more prep work and transfer it directly into the cage, and you kind of create a nice feedback loop of, you know, they're in the cage struggling, struggling with an idea. Oh, remember when prep, when you, you know, felt this movement or tried this? Oh, yeah. So same thing when they're back in the movement area. Hey, remember in the cage when you struggled with this and tried this? Oh, yeah. And trying to just create create these links between how we move and how we hit. So you're essentially taking some of their deficiencies, working on them on the side, and then whenever they step back into the cage, whether it's, you know, probably not the next round, but over time, you you felt like that's the best way to fix some of their deficiencies? I mean, I don't want to say it's the best way because that's a, best is a heavy word, but it's a way, anecdotally, we've seen with guys that has helped them out. Just getting, getting them to, you know, one, just first of all, be aware of that flaw in their swing. Some guys have taken so many swings, it's just, it's second nature, but in a bad way. You know, mm-hmm. they don't know that, you know, it's a flaw, but whatever putting that in a new context sometimes just helps, you know, helps them eliminate. Oh, okay. 
you know, this is why I can't do X. This is why it's limiting me and my sling. You know, let's attack that. Right, right. I love that. And so an, another thing that you've been experimenting with lately that you've been uh, talking about on uh, social media a lot, and that's the, you basically hacked a Wii board and made some force plate technology. So talk to us about that. And, you know, if, if we have some guys that want to reach out to be able to do that, uh, let us know, just, just kind of go into your thought process behind that. Uh, so basically the Wii board sprung up from several months ago. Let's help my folks at uh, at their house move some boxes kind of up into the attic. And one of them I saw like the old Nintendo Wii, and it had that little balance board. And I was like, okay, I wonder if there's anything in sports we can do with this, mm-hmm. just because. Again, that's how my training rock mind works. So I started looking into it, and I noticed again we always talk about TPI because they're awesome. TPI showing just how you interact with the ground is a big thing. Mm-hmm. And do they have these really high-end force plates that cost, well, you know, more than my net worth, basically, five <laughs> miles over. But this Wii board, so it gives you force in the ground. It gives you center of pressure relative to the board. And it's uh, all $40. Sure. And there's some free software called Brain Blocks from the University of Colorado. It's free to download. Just Google Brain Blocks. Uh, see you. Take you through it. And... You can go from there. So with this, with the readings I've been, um, or myself and the athletes I work with, I've been getting from this we board, we've been trying to be extremely careful with them in that I think what we're looking at is highly important stuff, but I'm trying to almost temper my uh, my own enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. The forcing. This is, you know, make having your chart at this shape, you know, is key. So it's been interesting to me just to take out, you know, if I think this is important, I need to be cover all my bases and be, you know, damn sure that I'm accounting for all the variables and biases that I can. Right. And you're not guessing. It's been interesting. Right. Um, I'm not just saying things. <laughs> and that's been the, you know, the, the cool part for me. So the Wii board itself, yeah, it gives a lot of cool information for, a relatively low price, and the thing that's cool about this is, like everything else, uh, baseball lags behind, and even this. So there's been studies with, uh, like doctors crafting prosthetics for people, like having them walk on a Wii board. So it's it's not a question of accuracy. It, the thing somehow Nintendo made a little board for forty bucks that is good enough to be used by surgeons and like post-operative treatment and stuff. That in and of itself is, you know, we are the Jetsons. We live in the future. But, you know, I'm trying to be extremely careful with what I present the Wii board, what it can and can't do. Mm-hmm. So that is still very much a work in progress and trying to find some new ways to you know, play with it and eliminate some of the issues that come with it. And, and so far, the board itself is about a two-inch high platform, so start you're starting from elevated position. Um, right now the board you can only use it if you're using one board it's only going to you know, work under one foot obviously if you try and use two boards then you're running into the issue of aiming a stride mm-hmm. which is going to you know throw throw bias into your numbers so trying to find interesting ways to work around that and it's a little frustrating but i know driveline talked about i think it's a uh, richard uh, Feynman tweet that talked about how hard it is to actually know something mm-hmm. And getting a very 
small taste of that with this. And again, I might not have a definitive, you know, say this is the best way to use the Wii board or this is the key finding from it for months and totally okay with that. Cause I want to be dead on when I say, I don't, again, I don't just want to say things. Sure. Now that makes a, a ton of sense. And, you know, we've talked a lot about uh, some different decision training assessments and prep work, but talk to us about the actual swing. So, you know, say they're kids or if I wanted to come hit with you, uh, are we just going to jump into the cage or what's some of the first things that we talk about? And, you know, what what exactly are you looking for whenever a kid comes to you and says, you know, I want to be trained, Parker, can you help me? So the first thing, again, we'll do some basic movement stuff at first. We want to see stuff like uh, overhead med ball toss. So you're starting from the ground, like see, you know, can you articulate through joints somewhat decently? Can you sequence a relatively easy act tossing a med ball over your head? Some basic rotational strength type things. If you're, you know, super weak in the midsection, good luck. And so the first time I usually work with guys probably doesn't resemble our future sessions in so far as the first time we hit together. One is going to be, I'm not going to be saying a ton. I want to, uh, you know, I want to learn from you. I want to, I want to learn kind of your dialogue. I want to learn how to best talk with you, but it's going to be a lot of stuff where I put you in challenges that you probably can't succeed from, but I want to see how you try, like how you try and solve these particular problems. And, you know, once we see, all right, this is, you know, this is kind of your comp, uh, fun word, you know, where a lot of guys talk about this is your fun compensation for a challenge. Now we can learn from that. We, we know how you attack problems. We can then know what problems to give you and help you solve them better. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the, the first day is a lot of, me, you know, me trying to learn you and, and uh, trying, again, just trying to learn how you attack a sling and how we can best go about that. And we'll probably watch some Nolan Arenado and Manny Machado clips because I, I may or may not be in love with those two. <laughs> and you say that, and they're, to me, from the outside looking in, they look like they're doing a whole lot of things differently. Yeah, 100%, but that's what I, you know, I want to show, mm-hmm. right? Because some, you know, it, some kids are going to click more with uh, just visually on a guy like Machado who, you know, he, if, if Silk could hit home runs, it would be Manny Machado. Right. And then, you know, if a nervous breakdown could hit home runs, it would be Nolan Arenado in the box. So uh, just looking at those two and those, I just love those guys' swings. And trying just to craft a plan going forward that's absolutely fantastic and i know you're a guy that is constantly learning and you talked about the wee board earlier which i think is is great and so is there anything else that you're trying lately that that you've learned lately maybe or just that you're you know trying to see if if you can find some way to objectively measure it or just kind of throwing spaghetti at a wall and seeing if it sticks is there anything that comes to mind whenever whenever you hear that i mean there are definitely spaghetti days but again a lot of it Again, is just finding one of the things that we've been, and I have no way to capture data on this. The moment is just a lot of the basic kind of reaction to a baseball. So if we look at the swing from a kind of stimulus response point of view, the stimulus is the ball in the air. The response is the body moving towards it. Mm-hmm. So talking about this on social media yet, but one of the interesting things I've just been tossing baseball to guys and having them like track the ball in with different body parts. 
right? So whether it's, right, I want you to, you know, feel like trying to your front shoulder, trying to your back shoulder, trying, whatever, right? And it's interesting how even an action like a take, just having kids, you know, feel different body parts, track them all in, their sequence can kind of fall apart or get weird. Hmm. Interesting. So it's, right. So it's just like, wait a sec. In the very, in the, in a far easier version of this stimulus response, we've, we're having some breakdowns here. So how are we then going to, you know, swing the complex move? How are we then going to trust that the, you know, complexity of swing is all going to line up? So it's interesting there. But, and then like everybody, uh, some of the, the grip stuff, playing with, and golf has been ahead on this for years, but playing with, even on the bat, not so much thicker thin grips, but even like, all right, we're going to have one hand, the top hand thicker than the bottom hand, bottom hand, safer, top hand, whatever. Mm-hmm. And so just looking at, at stuff like that. This is a fun time of year for me as a coach just because the heavy duty off season stuff will get going here in about a week or two. So this is a neat time to kind of explore and plan out the best way to attack the off season. Definitely. And seeing around on social media, obviously, you know, we see the XBET stuff and, and that's some really interesting, but for some reason today, and I maybe need to go back in and find it, but somebody was talking about, and I can't even remember what big leaguer it was, but they're talking about how they use a bigger handle at the very top of their top hand. Oh, yeah. it, was, it was a turn. Everybody's going nuts over that clip. Is that what um, it was? Okay. Yeah. So there's some other interesting stuff for that, but there is a, there was a player who was doing that before in the playoff center fielder for the Blue Jays. Pilar. Yeah. So if you look on his, just because I know, because you know the Rangers unfortunately ran into the Blue Jays <laughs> in the playoffs all the time. Mm-hmm. He'd have the same thing. He'd have like a literally like, just like a ring of lizard skin where his top hand would fit. Yeah. And again, golf's been doing this for forever because golf is NASA and baseball. People are arguing kites are witchcraft or not. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, you know, as I said in the intro, Ryan, you're I've gotten a, the opportunity to at least see you work in the cage for several weeks when whenever we were both in Texas uh, last year at this time. It's immediately it shows that your the players that you're working with absolutely love to work with you, and I I think that that's a ringing endorsement or as big of a ringing endorsement as you can get as a coach. But you know, throw out some of your favorite things to do with your players in practice and. You know, it could be their favorite competitions or just their favorite drills or just some of the weird stuff that you guys like to do in the cage whenever you guys are together. So I like kind of, again, turning it over to them in the cage. So if we're going to do a competition and let's say we don't have something like a hit tracks or flight scope to, you know, measure distance or, you know, EV or whatever, then all right, this round, you get to keep hitting. Let's keep it simple. So you get to keep hitting as long as your most recent hit was better than the one before it. Mm Mm-hmm. And this is almost more fun without a hit track or something, because then you get kids in the side. We've had, you know, like middle school kids yelling at college guys, no, you didn't hit that one as hard. Get out. <laughs> That's awesome. And then that, that seems great until literally after like the second swing, like, you know, big time college guys just telling a 11 year old kid to get out of the cage. Mm-hmm. So it's creating, you know, it's, it's creating an environment where they feel like, and like they're getting better, but they have some, they have some agency have some control of it they're not there just getting coached at which i think is huge sure and we're not giving we're not giving them completely free reign because otherwise they would just do you know underhand flip home and derby all day mm-hmm. but again trying to trying to guide them so you know let's say all right you've got three athletes so they all have three specific 
three unique uh, swing flaws are each one of yours to start and you know you have to use whether it's a weighted bat or stance variation or stride variation whatever you have to use that attack that one deficiency and you get five swings and your score is however many out of five you hit well alright so now you, know, you have three kids of different skill levels are all working on like the weakest part of the game so it can help level the field in that regard but just you know competition is great having guys just talk and realize they're not on an island mm-hmm. engage. You know, they're not, it's not the singular experience. So there are other kids there, you know, grinding and sweating and having fun. And uh, one of the things that, and you, you've seen this, the guys who work with me for a while probably talk more crap to each other. Right. Absolutely. Than, than just about anybody. But if we go back to the very first thing I talked about, again, that's that whole relatedness thing. Mm-hmm. If you, one of the things I, this is an aside, but I think one of the reasons driveline is amazing is there are guys, you know, who proudly claim they're a driveline guy because they train there for a little bit. Right. That's a that's an extreme level of relatedness that shows they're doing an awesome job. Definitely, I love that. Well, Ryan, we have to uh, we have to wrap it up. Even though I could sit here and talk uh, talk hitting with you all day, but. If there's anybody who wants to get in touch with you, uh, would Twitter be the best way to do that? Yep. Twitter, R-A underscore Parker, would be the best way to get in touch. And look forward to interacting with y'all and maybe bringing back some uh, civility to hitting Twitter. (laughs) All right. Thanks, Ryan, for joining us. All right. Thank you, man. Thank you for listening to Ahead of the Curve. Before you go, I'd love to be able to get in touch with you, and we have several different ways of doing so. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at AOTC underscore podcast. You can join the AOTC Coaches Facebook group. And if you want to be a part of the mini clinic emails, both of those links are listed below. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a rating or review to help others find and stay ahead of the curve.